0: Welcome to Our Story, the podcast. Every month, Pastor Mark from Harmony Toluca Lake sits down with a guest to discuss their journey of faith from an inclusive, affirming point of view. These personal stories are part of a colorful tapestry of individual life experiences that transcend the boundaries of church by connecting us all together, collectively, through faith, hope, and love. This is... Our story.
1: Hey everyone, Pastor Mark here with the Affirming Faith Community of Harmony Toluca Lake, which is the second campus of Hollywood United Methodist Church. And uh, you're going to have a blast today with an Our Story conversation because I have the great opportunity to be with none other than Julia Dennis, part of the Harmony Hello. Faith Community. And so it's good to see you. Good to see you. Here we go. Here we go. Hold on to your belt buckle, (laughs) if you have one. So... You have a couple of dogs. hmm Uh-huh. Too many. Yeah, and so uh, what but are the names? But also not
2: enough. Uh, <laughs> um, Loretta Lynn, Dolly Pawton, and Johnny Cash.
1: Oh, wow. Three dogs, mm-hmm. all C&W stars.
2: Yes, and my son's name is Waylon Ford, so we do have a theme going here. <laughs> and they're all crazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they're all rescues. Yeah. Not the, not the child.
2: He, he rescued me, I guess. Yeah. Right. Well, they all did, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, all right. Out of the three dogs, mm-hmm. if they could, if they could actually talk, what Bible verse might come out of their mouths?
2: Right. No, so not a verse. Oh. definitely the benediction song and this would simply be in their minds you know the praise God from whom all blessings flow they would think that like raw not raw chicken cooked chicken was going into you know the thing and treats and bully sticks and then they would just want to eat it all it would have nothing to do with Jesus just consuming <laughs> uh, an animal
1: oh boy yeah. and away we go I love vegan
0: food I'm just these are my dogs
1: so. <laughs> So, all right, so is the church, let's go, uh, let's just think church, okay. church for a second. Church. Would you say that church has had an influence on your life? And, and it doesn't, I'm not talking yeah. right, right now, I'm talking, going back to childhood.
2: Yeah, huh? yeah, forever, uh-huh. forever. My dad was like, I remember him to sort of be more of the leader of faith in my family for a while, And then my mom got her calling to be a minister, really because my dad, you know, was so like, I love being a Methodist. My mom was a Catholic, like a recovering Catholic. And um, my dad introduced her to the Methodist Church, right? So we come along, we're going to church, we're going to Sunday school, all that. My mom gets her calling, goes to seminary. My grandmother moves in with us to sort of help take care of my sister and I. And she was a Catholic, like hardcore Catholic, and so I would go to mass with her and then Methodist Church with my family, and they couldn't have been more different. Um, so I was always in a church. And then obviously when my mom got ordained, we would be there for every single service. Um, I'd be helping out with the children and then hearing one service every week. But I was always in a church. And I didn't realize like the churches that I was raised in were always inclusive, And there were never really any issues with the people that wanted to walk through the doors, like all are welcome. And it wasn't until, you know, I went to college and I went to a Christian college and it was horrible. It was so blasphemous. It was so judgy. It was so violent. And I dropped out immediately, moved to New York City. And that was just weird. It was like a one year of a very weird religious experience moved to New York city, I get into theater, I'm in a conservatory. And then I start telling people like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And the reaction was so startling. And I very quickly quieted myself and was Mm. like, this is so weird how like everybody is so standoffish now, or all of a sudden like it's us versus them, you know? And I didn't realize church hurt was real. I really didn't. I had such an amazing experience. And I also know from a point of privilege, I'm a straight white woman. So I would also be perceived differently too. But I didn't realize how much damage was being done in churches because I wasn't raised in one of those churches. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I've always been active in churches. Well, I took a break in in New York because I was like, wow, all of this is going on. You know, it was like a 10 years of education for me. Um, But then when my husband and I moved here, we did start going back to church. And I'm so glad we did, because we found such a sanctuary here. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Your mother Mm -hmm. uh, is an ordained minister. Mm -hmm. She's a
2: deacon, and she has her doctorate. So yeah, she's a reverend deacon, doctor, Grandma Mary. (laughs) She's got a lot of titles, guys.
1: (laughs) Right. So, but now how did that go over with uh, the entire family that suddenly is like, Mary... Who's a woman?
2: Oh yeah, becomes
1: an ordained minister. And it's like, hmm.
2: Yeah, my mom was like a little—I um, don't want to say apprehensive, but she wasn't quite sure how her father would take it because he, at a time in his young life, thought about becoming a priest and sort of switched to government, as you do. <laughs> and um, but when she did tell him, he was like super supportive, which was really rad. But my grandma didn't totally get it. Like, I remember a conversation where she was like, but women aren't even supposed to read the Bible. And my mom was like, that's crazy. Sure we are. Like, you can read. It's a book. It's a book of faith. You can read it. And so I remember like the Catholicism having a lot of like, just kind of sort of question marks about it. But nobody really being like, you can't do it until she got like in her churches when, certain male members would be like, you can't do this. Um, but I certainly wasn't raised to think that. But some of the congregation was very cl- close-minded, mm-hmm. wrong theology, perhaps. Yeah, like she would preach. I remember she preached against um, entering Afghanistan and after 9-11. And people came to our home that night and slashed all the tires in our driveway like members of our church came with a violent crime and damaged property to take my mom and my dad to work. And my grandma, my like 80-year-old grandma's car, they were like, these tires gotta go because that's a woman and she's saying the wrong message of God. And I remember being like, this is crazy. At this point, I was like 14 and I was starting to have more opinions of like, my mom would teach us a certain way of how Jesus taught right? In our home. And then I would see the reactions to how she would preach her congregation and they weren't totally aligning. Mm -hmm. Um, and she would explain like, yeah, you know, they're so, they're so wrong, but the closer we are to these types of people, the more we can maybe shift their mindset and they can understand the ways of God. Right. And that's just one example. Like even She preached another sermon. A man dumped coffee all over her car. She preached a sermon. Someone wrote her a letter and said, first of all, you're a woman. You shouldn't be behind a pulpit. Second of all, why are you wearing pants? How dare you? And she went to that member and was like, hey, why don't we go out to lunch and let's talk about it? And then he was like, I don't want to date you. And she was like, wow, that's not what I was implying. (laughs) So, you know, people are real kooky and real mean, but... I wasn't taught that was the way of God.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Well, and that's also being open to the Word, being open-minded, open-hearted. But in many instances, wow, women in the pulpit, uh, even women reading Scripture, mm-hmm. women in leadership. We can't even do that anymore
2: in some faiths, and it's 2023.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's—it's just shocking. But it's, it's a reality as well. But again, it's a bad theology. Yeah, it's the worst. Right. And I uh, appreciate your mother for having the courage to live into who not only she is, but also living into who God has called her to be.
2: Absolutely. She has a level of bravery and I, I don't think I would be who I, I, I know I wouldn't be who I was if she wasn't my mom, Adoy. But I don't think I would have been so brave to like drop out of college and move to New York and like follow my dreams if I didn't watch my mom kind of do that in her own way. Like, no, I don't want to work government anymore. I want to be a minister. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to, or go to seminary, right? I'm going to leave my kids and learn this skill. and go on mission and do all these crazy things. And it was this like, head down, get it done. It's going to be great. And, and it was like an armor. I watched her build this armor and I built my own. And she would always say to me, like after, you know, my first heartbreak or a, a, a loss of a job or something that wouldn't go right. She would always say like, but you're so resilient. You know, we've been so resilient and I just wish we didn't have to be. And that always, like, registered with me. And I really feel that for a lot of women, particularly in the church. You have to be so resilient, and you just shouldn't have to be.
1: Mm. And rightfully so. Yeah. Not here.
2: Not here. Not here. (laughs) Not here.
1: But I want to ask you what uh, your concept, your view of God is.
2: Oh, like... As soon as you said that, all I could see was just like the most beautiful garden. Like God gives food. God gives water, like nourishment, right? Body, mind, peace. I look at a garden, I feel at peace. Um, Protection, plants, shade from the sun, trees, you know, all of that. When I think of God, I just see a garden. We are all made in the image of God, right? So not only is God, in my mind, my first image, this beautiful sanctuary of a garden, but... God is also literally everyone that I look at. God is you, God is me, God is my son, God is everyone. And so how could anyone be wrong in who they are if they're made in the image of God, right? They're not.
1: Well, so it's interesting though, that you are saying each of us are a part of God. We're yeah. not God, but, right. we, no. right? but yeah. we are a part of God. But how often do we denigrate ourselves? Oh,
2: all the time. Oh yeah. No, all the time. Yeah. Nobody feels worthy. I mean, I don't know. I think it's hard to feel worthy. I think it's hard to feel successful. It's hard to have self-love, all of those things. But when you can shift your brain into thinking, I am an extension of God, I am made in the image of God. There is nothing wrong with me. I am absolutely born perfect, which is what I've been shifting my mind in the last three years, you know, since COVID. I have so much more grace with myself Especially after becoming a mother, Mm -hmm. all of those, like, oh, I'm not perfect, and yeah, but but I didn't get this job, and, and my ego just totally went away. And I'm just so proud to be a daughter of Christ and a sister to everybody you know, who needs it? Like I'm open to being your sister. (laughs) I'm from a big family.
0: Sister
1: Julia. There we go.
2: But I am not a nun. (laughs) Um, No.
1: Ah. So uh, you, you mentioned being a mother Mm -hmm. you have just a a lovely son. We'll talk about Waylon a little bit later, but how have you seen your relationship uh, shift or change with God in becoming a mother?
2: So I didn't realize that that had happened or was happening or in process of happening until our cyber new parents group through church during COVID when we couldn't meet, right? We were all in our little Zoom squares and I had just nursed Waylon and put him down for a nap. And Beth Mueller had said, I want everyone to repeat after me. God knows I'm a good parent. And I was like, What? Like I had never actually thought that God knew I became a mom, which is really weird. It never registered to me that I was no longer just like this floating actress. Like I became a mother and I was nailing it and he knew I was nailing it, but I didn't know I was nailing it, you know, cause you're so unsure in those first few months and your hormones are all over the place. But after that, and I just like, couldn't stop crying. It was so embarrassing. Like, I muted myself because I was just like, oh, <laughs> like really loud. It's so much so that like some of the dads like got all, like we're like really looking into the the little square of me and I was just bright red and just like blowing tissues like left and right. And Beth was like, Julia, are you okay? Like, do you need to take a break? And I was like, move along, move the conversation along. But I really didn't know until that moment. And now I think about it a lot. And I have a, I have a totally new responsibility in my life. It's not just like... How am I going to walk through this world and leave it better than I found it? But it's how am I going to raise this child to be aware that people need help and you have gifts in which you can help them. And you yourself have a responsibility to be a listening ear or a helping hand or prepare food for someone, um, to nourish someone the same way that we're nourished by spirit. And so that's where everything kind of took like a left turn for me. It was like, okay, it's not just me anymore. It's this kid.
1: Yes. So raising this child uh, with Tommy, Mm -hmm. I love your style. Oh, good. (laughs) Waylon just uh, cracks me up and and, uh, he's just such a joy. He is a bundle of joy. (laughs) You really want him to be as free thinking as possible, right? Why have you chosen this
2: well, I sort of just feel like whatever he wants to get into, whatever he wants to do or whatever he wants to play with, as long as he's, like, not in danger. So, like, you know, I wouldn't let him play with nails or, like, razor blades. But if he wants to, like, run around with a vacuum or, you know, play with what whatever, I want him to do that. I want him to experience different textiles and colors and shapes and sounds and instruments. And I want to read all the books to him. And I do. I read. I read an insane amount of books to this kid, so much so that when he picks up a book, he's two years and 10 months, he has them memorized. And I'm convinced he's reading because he's brilliant, but my husband has a photographic memory and he's like, no, he's just has memorized every page because he got it from me. (laughs) And Thank you, God, because that will take him a long way in his life. But, you know, I remember growing up and I had um, one of my cousins living with me who was a little boy and he wanted to like play with Barbie dolls and that was sort of like a, moment. And I was like, it's so lame. Like, he's so little, like, let him play with Barbados. Barbados are rad. Like, what's the problem here? And I remember that being a problem.
1: What's toxic masculinity? Toxic
2: masculinity, totally. Which is so sad because these kids are so young, they don't even know that the patriarchy exists. They don't. And so why would we start at less than three saying like, ah, ah, ah you know, don't cry or whatever. It's like, oh my gosh, cry. I love when Waylon cries. He's so much better afterwards getting all of those feelings and emotions. And it's such a release for him to cry. I cry with him and it's good. And so, yeah, my son plays with Barbie dolls and mermaids and, and he wears dresses. And, you know, I I had sent you a picture of Waylon in his Sleeping Beauty dress because it is the most beautiful. And after that, I texted it to Waylon's little buddy's dad. And I was like, hey, Waylon got his first dress. He's so excited. And the response I got back was a picture of their son in a tutu. And he goes, oh, this is Ben's tutu. And he wears this around. And I was like, this is so dope that these boys can just feel beautiful and great fabrics and just have no parental like, (sighs) which is what I saw as a kid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're coming, we're we're getting there. Some parts of the country are getting there. My household is there.
1: Well, it's, it's also how we as a society expect certain things. Boys should only act a certain way. Girls can act only a certain way. You know, if they're not in that box, mm-hmm. it just shakes everybody up.
2: Yeah, and how's that working out? It's not working out well, you know. They don't know how to deal with their emotions. And what do you expect, you know? Like, you're raising These kids or not raising these kids, maybe you didn't want to have them and you were in a forced birth. I mean, that's what's happening so much in this country now. I'm horrified to see where we're going to be 18 to 20 years from now from all these women that had to have these children that they shouldn't have had to have if they didn't want them. You know, but what I can say is I want my son and there is not one part of me that will dim his light, not even the slightest. He will shine so bright. And the more he's illuminated, the more others can be illuminated, Mm -hmm. you know. I want him to like go with his instincts. And if his instincts is ball gowns and Barbies, we're in. You know, we're in. That's
1: well, cool. and, that's, and that's what I love. Well, one of the aspects that I love about you and Tommy is, is just uh, you're open to whatever it is on this child's path. Because mm-hmm. right now, it's a wide open path. Totally. And He's not
2: even three. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah so who yeah. are we to be like, hey, walk a little bit over over here. Hey, man, skip that one and walk over here. That'd be so silly. Mm-hmm. You know? And my husband, we were raised so differently. My husband comes from a family of um, uncles that were all in biker gangs and in and out of prison and didn't really go to church and... You know, he left home young, similar to me, and went to New York and did theater just like I did. And, you know, all of our, I I think we have more friends in the LGBTQIA community than, than not. I always say, like, we're the anomaly, like the super white blonde family, like our community or people we hang out with don't really look like us. And how rich our lives are because of that. And so it would never be a problem for us. It simply would never be. He's never going to hear this type of doctrine that certain people are smaller, certain people are wrong, or, oh, God forbid, what do they call them, abominations? Come on now. He's never going to hear that. Mm-hmm. And thank God for that.
1: Well, so I, I want to take a step back, uh, talking about church, going back to uh, college mm-hmm. and then shifting to New York, right? Yeah. Um, was that, was that a point in your, uh, in your life when church really wasn't important to you?
2: Yeah, I definitely backed out for a smidge. And of course, any time I'd go back to Maryland for, you know, Christmas or whatever, we'd go to church, and my pastor would always be like, oh, have you found a church in New York? And I'm like, no, I haven't. And it wasn't something that was pulling me, I think, because I've just felt so, like, abandoned by college, and the chaplain there, who thought it was totally fine to have this big talk about what's consent and what's not, and then send these girls out whose lives are forever changed and not care about them. So I don't know. We took a weird turn here, but
1: no, but. no. But that's that's the turn I, I I wanted us to talk about because if you don't yeah. talk about it, right, right, it's yeah. like why are we hiding this?
2: Oh, yeah, you got to act right. You can't make these allowances and call yourself a Christian and then, you know, want migrants to drown in a river and want gay people to just go away. So you don't have to see them anymore because they're not the version of God, you think, you know, but God's not even white. So or like Jesus (laughs) wasn't even white. You know what I mean? So, like, there's just so much work that has to happen. And I just don't think that parts of this country want to do it or care to do it. And that's really scary to me. And that's why we have, I'm like the only person my age that goes to church, by the way, I have no friends who are interested whatsoever. None. Their Mm -hmm. kids aren't baptized. They don't care about that. They don't care about having a community in Christ with Christ. And that is so crazy to me, but it's actually not even just my own experience. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: So, You and I have had similar experiences in the aspect of having our minds blown of when you go to college and suddenly you're like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. Right? The segmenting, I call it segmenting, where you're suddenly segmenting yourself. It's like, uh, and I hate to say that because you're not really ashamed of being a follower of Jesus, but but suddenly you're seeing the hurt that it causes, so you suddenly just don't say anything
2: right because I didn't have the tools to even accept what I was seeing like I didn't understand how to process like oh no I just told you something and now you're turned off to me and now I feel like I'm going to be smaller to make you feel better you know whereas now I can be like oh my gosh we all have so many scars and like you have so many scars but you're so beautiful and so loved and I wish you had a different you know, past, but your present can be so different with God. Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. say that now. Right. But through my whole 20s, it was like, zip, zip, zip. And then anytime I tell someone my mom was a minister, even still today in L.A., I have to be like, but she's the good kind, I swear. She's the good <laughs> kind. She's very progressive and, and very inclusive and yubba, 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 and has pledged her life to, like, helping women and, p- and children and, and immigrants. and yubba. But I shouldn't have to have this, like, backup monologue ready to go. But I do because we have so many, like, white nationalist Christians rolling through this country who are very loud. And so.
1: You segment yourself.
2: So you segment yourself. Totally.
1: So you and Tommy have had quite a journey. Mm -hmm. And so you had all this going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're both in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll touch on that in just a second. But so suddenly you're like, and you end up at Harmony. Yes. So how, how did that all happen?
2: Yeah, we had been going, I worked at Beverly Hills, um, for the first four years we lived here and we were going to an Episcopal church, all saints, which I've loved. It was so great. And it worked out with my work schedule that we could go and then I could, you know, do my brunch shift at the restaurant. And then we bought our house up here in the Valley and it was like, I couldn't get there in time and whatever, whatever. And so I just started, I was like, I got to find a church in the Valley. And I just start looking like churches near me and clicking on reviews. Oh, this is good. Oh, it's a lot of young people. Wow, it's a lot of young people. And then my mom was like, "Screw it, read the bylaws." And I was like, "Oh, okay." And she was like, "Read the bylaws." And usually, guys scroll all the way down, and you might see some funky stuff. And if you don't, then you could probably go. And so I see this one church, and it had whoa, what a website and like looked like they did so much service. And I was like, yeah, this could be us. So many young people, they have a nursery, let's go here. And I look at their bylaws and it's like, everything's great. Yes, this checks, this checks, this checks. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And I was like, oh no, this doesn't check. Mm -mm, No, we're not, we got no time for that. Finally, Harmony came up in my search and it was rad. Like everything that was on the website, I was like, Oh yeah, we came on Easter and we never left. I mean, COVID, we went online, but right. yeah, it was like, okay, we're in. And really because of you, because my husband, like I said, was never raised in a church. And he too had the like, oh, your mom's a minister? Like, who, you know, um, and then he met her and he was like, uh, but they love each other now. <laughs> she lives with us um, in our guest house. <laughs> she does live with us. Um, but you came out that Easter Sunday and you said, you like took this, Big breath, and you were like, thank you so much for everyone who walked through the doors. We're covered in scars from the church, and you're so brave to come in here, and God loves you just as you are and wants to take your pain away, and let's all worship the coming of Christ. And we were like, yeah, okay. And Tommy looked at me, and he was like, I'm in. Okay, okay. (laughs) And... Yeah, man, we're never leaving.
1: You're kind of stuck with us. <laughs> All right, praise God. Yeah,
2: I was talking to another member um, recently, and she was saying, you know, this is such an anomaly, this church. And she was like, selfishly, I don't want it to grow so much because it's so perfect, and we have, like, great access to Pastor Mark. But, like, we also do really want it to grow because we want everyone to have this amazing experience that mm. we're having. And I was like, yeah, I totally feel that.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's, uh, well, and as you can tell, we're gaining momentum, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, so with you and Tommy, and I've seen such growth in Tommy as well, and, and what a huge step. I mean, Tommy's saying that he wanted to become a member yeah. here, right? Yeah. I mean, that's like... It's huge. Yeah, that was huge. Uh, and I and it's been just a, an honor to be able to walk with you and Tommy uh, in your life journey as well as your faith journey because mm-hmm. I mean there's been some ups and downs mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Um, but when you're both in the industry and the industry is not necessarily like hey you're a Christian woohoo that's <laughs> an awesome thing right, right. right. Uh, how how are you able to engage in a conversation with someone about your faith.
2: Well, from my experience, when I was in New York, I had an agent who was like, you know, more of a theatrical agent. And, and here that means TV, but in New York that actually meant theater because I started a musical theater. But they did have relationships with certain casting offices. So you could get an audition for a co-star or like maybe a guest star, but it was few and far between. And, but I kept telling them, like, I want to do TV and film. I want to do TV and film. I, had, I was doing the producers and I injured my knee so i knew that um i couldn't continue doing musical theater so much just from all the the pain i was in so i really wanted to do tv and film but every single audition i got was some smutty sex scene which was so gratuitous and i would look at it and i would be like do 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 hi no and they'd be like but don't you want you know this casting director to know who you are and like don't you want to work and don't you want to do a scene opposite Bobbity Blubbity ball I'm going to be like, right, but that's not acting. This is softcore porn. This is against my morals. This doesn't propel a story whatsoever, and I won't do it. And it was always this, like, judgment that I would get on the other side of that. And I sometimes would throw in, like, you know, my mom's a minister. I'm not doing this. And all of the male agents I worked with were so, like, combative about that and how I'm stifling my own career. And I was like, if my career is going to be gratuitous sex scenes, and that's not much of a career. And that changed when I moved here and I found my manager that I have now. And she was like, okay, great. Because there's so much more work in California than there was in New York at the time when I lived there. And my manager knows my mom has been to my home, knows that we're a Christian family. Um, in fact, anytime she had set up a meeting with me when I first moved here to get an agent, I would say like, you know, I've really prayed on it and I feel like this is the right person and it was always received so beautifully. And anytime I've turned down a role and I'd be like, oh, did you see that this had this in it? The Her response would always be like, oh no, that was not in the breakdown. I'm so sorry, we're skipping this one. You know, so the support is there now, but it used to not be simply because of money because they want their ten. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on something that would make me feel dead inside, that I would never do.
1: So, like, we have Harmony Kids mm-hmm. here, which is awesome. Praise God, so yeah. good. Um, how how could you potentially talk with other parents? Because you had mentioned earlier in this conversation that, in uh, basically, your circles, they're like uh, church. Oh yeah, being Christian. Okay. What's that? Yeah, right. How how is it that you? can, could engage with these other individuals about this affirming faith community. Is there a way of doing that?
2: We do have our little, si- similarly, when I tell someone my mom's a minister and we're like, but she's a good kind. And we say, oh yeah, you know, our church, oh, but it's all inclusive and it's diverse and you have a, and it's so great. We do have our little spiel, which I always have to say, because otherwise people are like, because huh, they think we're going to like indoctrinate their kid and like, mm. Loving the Lord is painful, and you will sacrifice everything. You know, like, no, it's not what's happening here. It's an abundance. It's wonderful to be in love Nothing with God. Nothing like saying,
1: hey, following the Lord's going to be painful. Right, right, right. Have a banner right. out front. Yeah, yeah. Like Suffer, people, suffer. Yeah,
2: like, you know, the, they used to flog themselves. That's a real thing, right? Like, Sorry. people used to do—that's not happening here. Okay, but I still get that look in people's eyes when I tell them, like, oh, yeah, we're a member of our church, or like— You know, but I have my little monologue and it just still feels, even though I've known these people for years, you know, a lot are of of other faiths,
1: Mm -hmm, okay? mm
2: -hmm. But the ones who are of no faith or have been burned so bad and are just covered in scar tissue, I don't feel that it's right to put any kind of like pressure, Mm -hmm. you know, to make them want to walk through something that they're not ready to experience, so I just try to show like what I get from it. And I definitely talk, I've always like after a great sermon, I'm like, oh my God, let me tell you about this sermon real quick. Or like, let me tell you about Meditation Sunday and how healing that was. They're so healing. Oh my goodness, to be healed once a month by this congregation, wow, wow, what that does for my life. And so I do speak on those things. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I want them to come in here, but I also don't want to like, add to the recoil of mm-hmm. church memory and church pain.
1: Well, it's, it's the a difference dance. between an invite yeah. versus forcing someone, right? Right. Because you're going to have a different reaction. Yeah. The invite is always an open invitation. Yeah. It's not like, well, you know, the invitation was only good for a week.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, But I forced my husband to come. (laughs) You know, when we moved here in New York, we thought we found a good church. They were like bigots. We didn't realize until it was the gay pride weekend, and then they really showed their colors, and we walked out. But um, I forced him for probably the first four years we were going to church, maybe five. And then within the last—I think when you did grief counseling with him after his parents died, I Mm -hmm. think that's when— He sort of let his walls down and was like, I need the tools Mm -hmm. that I'm being offered here to help me walk through this world now that I feel like an orphan, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was so transformative. So he comes for him now, but... I know I was a forcer. It was bad. It's like, we're
1: going to charge, <laughs> you know? So I can come
2: on a little strong.
1: Right. Well, he was being supportive.
2: He was, you would say, but, I do it for you.
1: Right. But in that, it's yeah. an interesting shift. I'm doing it for you versus now it's, no, actually, now I'm doing it for me and for us.
2: And for our son.
1: Right. Because yeah. the us includes your son, yeah. which is important.
2: Yeah. I mean, there is also like, in terms of being married, We did so much premarital counseling. We really ironed out so much because I only intend to do this one time and so did he. And we've been together now over 15 years and I've seen marriages come and go in that time with our friends. And I think out of even my family members and and our friends who have all been married, I want to say less than 20% do premarital counseling and that really is so odd to me because my marriage is stronger with God in my marriage and blessing my marriage and watching over my marriage. You know, if we had a problem, I know that we could come and sit with you and there's no judgment. And I just feel like there are so many things that are here for people to help them in their life. And, and yes, God, but also your pastor and your church community. You know,
1: well, that's a key element right there is I, I see, and I think you see this as well, because we've talked about before about the need for community.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. This is a godless town. (laughs) Like, and the people that I found here who are in love with Christ the way that I am, like we help each other. You know, I know that anybody here could watch my kid and they'd be totally fine, Mm -hmm. you know, and vice versa. Or if anyone's hungry or needs clothes or whatever, we're going to figure it out together.
1: Right. And that's special. Yes, it is. And we give thanks. Mm -hmm. So I got a couple more questions, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Okay. Are you good? Yeah. All right. Yeah.
0: Get fire away.
1: Yeah. So if Jesus were to come back today, mm, what do you think would be the first thing he'd have to say?
2: I don't think he'd say anything. I think he would drop grenades in most of the churches (laughs) in the country. I think he would burn it to the ground and I would be in support of that. You know, we saw that in his temple when people started selling things and he walked in and turned tables and he said, this is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. Mm -hmm. We've done so much worse than that. So much worse. All these, you know, this obsession with gold and money, tax avoidance and prosperity gospel. And it's gotten so ridiculous. And I just think he would cry and be mm. so mad because mm-hmm. we we got it so wrong. Yeah. So I just, I, I think it'd just be a, a tooth and a grenade and pfft. Down we go.
1: (laughs) Not that we're saying Jesus loves his weaponry. (laughs) No, I'm not saying that. And we're not soldiers for Christ. I'm not saying that because that's real
2: too. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we got it really wrong and we got to start over. And and what we're doing here, I just, we need to get you on a TED talk and it's got to get blasted out because what's happening in this place is so special and so healing. And this is exactly what we need in the world and in this country.
1: So last question is, if you could invite any biblical person at all to dinner, who would it be and why?
2: Well, okay, it'd be a twofer.
1: Oh, all right. I would invite
2: Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene, and I wouldn't join the table. I would let those two women talk, and I would serve them, and I would make sure that they had everything they needed and they could just have some fricking peace because those two women deserve some fricking peace. And also for the record, Mary Magdalene was not a whore. She was really intelligent and wealthy and Jesus's right hand man. And there were women disciples. They were just erased in the third century.
1: Mm -hmm. I'll just, that's my two cents. (laughs) I read a story recently that Martha and Mary, you know, the story about Mm -hmm. Martha and Mary that it's actually, that was, traditionalists took it to split the two women. It was actually one woman. One woman. Yeah, yeah. I love that.
2: I love that.
1: Right? I'm not to pre-
2: surprised by that. I can't, I wait, to, I can't
1: that. wait to preach on that one at some point.
2: Yeah, let me know. I'll read scripture.
1: <laughs> you can, I'm going to volunteer
2: can. on that Sunday.
1: <laughs> we love a
2: good volunteer here at Harmony. Yes,
1: we do. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it is a wonderful, as always, to spend a little bit of time with you. And I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast, our story conversation with Julia Dennis. And hopefully it won't be the only time that we have a conversation. It's always fun.
2: It's always fun. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I I came in hot, so (laughs) that's okay.
1: Okay. And so we look forward to sharing more conversations with you. So tune in uh, to the Harmony uh, Podcast Network, and we wish you peace.
0: Go in peace! (laughs) Thanks for listening to Our Story, the podcast, with your host, Pastor Mark Stevenson. This month's guest was Julia Dennis, before she became our Family Ministries Director. And this episode was recorded and mixed by me, Donna Miller, with production support by Jace Lucas. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to Our Story, the podcast, so you never miss a new episode. You're listening to the Harmony Podcast Network sponsored in part by Hollywood United Methodist Church. Find us on Instagram at Harmony underscore TLC and on Facebook at Harmony TL. We'll see you next month when Jace Lucas turns the tables on Pastor Mark. Until then, as he does like to say, peace.